Hi, podcast listeners. My name is Madison Hopkins, and this is Modern Ways. Modern Ways is a guide to eco-friendly homes. And on this podcast, I combine sustainability and real estate for people who want to change their home environment. In each episode, my guests and I empower you with fundamental knowledge so you can create your eco-friendly home and thus change the world around you. Thanks for tuning in today. I really appreciate you being here and hope you learned something new. So let's hop on in to the modern ways of eco-friendly homes. Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to today's episode featuring Joan Gregerson. In today's episode, we are diving deep into the realm of community. You may be asking, how does the community have to do with sustainability and my house? Well, in many ways, community is what makes your home home outside of your four walls. It's how you engage in your surroundings, and honestly, it's what keeps you living in one place over another, years over years. Joan Gregerson is a self-proclaimed eco-nut and global community leader. We are just lucky enough to have her located here in Denver. She has her own podcast called the Green Team Academy and website, which did inspire me to start my own podcast, and she drops information and inspiration weekly, which helps us all become better eco-leaders in our community. Joan was a speaker at the second annual Save Green, Be Green workshop hosted by uh, a branch of the Denver Gov, and that's where we officially met. And lastly, Joan has her own coaching program that includes Power Weekend Workshops and her newest 90-day program based on her book, Climate Action Challenge, a proven plan for launching your eco-initiative in 90 days. Joan, it's an honor to have you here today. Hi, Madison. So nice to be hanging out with you and congratulations on starting your podcast. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you for all your help with that and for all your leadership and your advice and yeah, for sharing that with everyone. Well, a lot of people think about doing something like this and not everybody follows through. So way to go. Thanks. So today, Joan and I, we, you and I, are going to dive into community. And like I said, you're a community leader. So I figured we could talk about a lot about what you do. You, you create green teams. So I, just as a, a brief overdraft of like what we're going to get into, what are green teams? What green teams are here in Denver? And what other amazing community programs are in the Denver neighborhoods? And then last thing I want to get into at the end of the episode is what can people do to get involved? Like you said, some people just never start. So let's dive on in. All right. Well, yeah, I'm so happy to be hanging out with you and with your listeners today. It's an honor to, you know, to be talking about this. And like Madison, you are an example of exactly what, what I'm seeing that people can do because a lot of people think you know i'd like to do something for the planet i know we should be doing something more i'm concerned about it but i'm just not really sure what to do and so your example of using it integrating it into your real estate practice to say well you know just being your average real estate agent isn't going to be enough for me i want to define my career based on my commitment to helping people be as eco-friendly as possible. And I love it because every single person that I work with has a different vision. And, and part of what 
I'm seeing that you're doing is pulling this team together, like somebody that knows about finance and someone who knows about community and that this thing that we can't do it alone. And that's, that's part of what green teams are all about is the idea to, to move away from like, if you go to a climate action website, it'll tell you step-by-step step what to do. And it'll be things like start composting or sign up for renewable energy or eat more local food. And what I found is that that's really hard for most people. Like if they were already able to do it, they would have. And, and then on the other hand, if they just like call their utility company, change their electric uh, rate, they don't feel empowered to, to make the bigger changes in their community. And so what I've seen is that when instead of telling somebody sign up for composting, instead, if you say, let's start a composting club and let's figure out what are the options, what are the barriers, how can we compost, how can, what should we do in the fall when leaves are falling, what should we do you know, around the holidays, what do we do with our kids' meals or the kids' schools? Like there's all these different individual tasks are really quite complex. And there are also opportunities. When we start working together, then we can support each other, coach each other through the process and really make a bigger difference. So that's, that's, a, that's kind of a starting point of why I'm so passionate about helping people start teams rather than thinking, okay, let me just do one action and then not sure like what just happened. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest things I got from working with you on that that power weekend was that like, I, I was like, I don't know where to start with a team. You know, I'm kind of doing essentially my own thing right now, but it involves me working with a lot of people. And so you're like, well, it doesn't have to necessarily be a team, like a group of board advisors or like, a you know, like one person does this stuff, but it could be a network. And I think that, really sort of like shifted my mind okay I can make this work for me and if it shifted my mind like that I'm sure there's tons of other people out there who could reconceptualize like what it means to work with others yes exactly and so that's the cool thing about this team idea and I think that once people get a taste of it you just see more and more places that you could use it so like one example of a team that's near and dear to my heart is it's St. Ignatius Loyola Church. And this is a church at the corner of 23rd and York. And my parents went there in their later years. And so they had a lot of friends there. And when I would go to church events with her, which um, maybe sorry to say it, that's not something I do very often, even though my mom would have been in favor of it. But, you know, I would go with her and then in the like church basement, they would be serving things on styrofoam with disposable plastic forks. And I was like, please don't. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there wasn't, my parents were really like model citizens as far as being, you know, my dad volunteered helping people get their GED, their high school equivalent. He tutored once a week for 17 years 
my mom did, you know, worked in soup kitchens and all that, but ecology and our environmental impact wasn't really part of the equation. And, and then Pope Francis put out this encyclical that was, it's called On Care for Our Common Home, where he, his background is science, he's a scientist. And so he paints a picture saying, you know, if we feel that we are, our mission is to care for people, we have to care for the planet. There's no, you can't trash the planet and care for the people. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so they had a discussion group and I was living there with my mom at the time she was going to this, which was so cute. Cause she's like 85 years old and, you know, and then came home with this list of things to do, like 20 things to do and put it on the fridge. And, you know, it, it was impossible. Like how you're supposed to just go home and do those 20 things by yourself. And so after their discussion group, nothing was really going on. And so one of the ladies, Romaine, she said that she kept praying and praying, like literally praying, you know, please send someone to help us get something going because, you know, they learned so much in, in reading that encyclical and realizing how important it was. And then they talked about it and then nothing happened. So she's praying and praying. And she said, after a couple of months, praying for someone, she got a tap on the shoulder during her prayers that said, hey, you're someone, you're somebody, you've been waiting for somebody, you're somebody. And she's like, and this is what I find a lot of the people that end up starting a green team, they don't, they don't come from a leadership experience in some other realms of their life. So that it seems very unexpected, a lot of reluctant leaders as as I was. So they got this group going, they started with things like battery recycling, and then they did an electronics recycling event for the whole community and kept thousands of pounds of electronics out of the, the landfill. They, they set up a glass recycling station. They're one of the top glass recycler stations around. And, and when they do the glass recycling, it then goes to a place here in the Metro Denver area that then changes it to, I forget what you call the little pellets, and then those get converted into glass bottles. So it's a closed loop system right in this same Metro area. And then they had a guy who came who moved from, I forget where he came from, Paul, and he his background was community gardening. And he said, you know, all this recycling, everything, it's fine, but I wanna feed the poor. I want to grow food and give it to the poor. So they then next convinced the, the church leadership, hey, this is part of our mission, feeding the poor. How about give us part of the lawn? And they gave them two pieces of the lawn that they then converted to a community garden. And so their volunteers get out there and work together. And all that food that they grow then gets donated. They have about 11 families in their neighborhood that they provide food for. Many are from Africa and have a, a preference for a lot of these like very nutritious greens like collards and mustard greens. So they'll, they're growing the food that their neighbors really want. And then they partnered with Dahlia Center and started doing cooking classes around those to, to keep that legacy going. So that's just one example of somebody that understood something should happen and that's what the small group did just bit by bit one idea after the next 
I remember, what was her name? Romaine. I remember Romaine from the Save Green Be Green because y'all were in the same last room and her story saying about how she prayed and then she got the tab like, you're somebody. That was actually very a very impactful story to hear. And that is a really relevant example. I, thank you for sharing that. So for some other green teams in the area, like that's one really good example. Do you have any others of people who like maybe are doing something like as a like a titled group or just just anything really yeah yeah definitely i mean there's there's so many stories and just maybe backing up a little bit to let you know how i got into this whole thing so oh, yeah great um, question because <laughs> that might give a little context because yeah. some some of the neighborhood stories here so yeah, my background is engineering. I went into it to, to be an environmentalist, basically. You know, I went to the University of Colorado in 1978, and I said, I want to study solar energy, because that was my understanding, like that would be the best thing to do. And they didn't have any solar programs at that time. And so, and that was my first inkling of like, I don't know if the adults are really taking this seriously enough. If, if I know as a high school student, like we, this should be top priority. But Jimmy Carter was in the White House at that time and, it, and was putting solar panels on the White House. So it, it seemed like it was. But anyhow, so I went through engineering and then started working in building energy efficiency. So did a lot of home energy rating systems, building energy modeling, and you know, in some regards, I felt like I really was making an impact, but then in other regards, I questioned that because, you know, I'm thinking about like helping people put solar on their houses. And then some of our big contracts that we got were for creating more energy efficient housing for the U.S. Air Force. And it's like, okay, that's different that's not exactly the same as what I was thinking. And so there was a lot of things like that happening through my career. So I was living in Niwot and we did not have any recycling in the small town of Niwot, about 3000 people outside of Boulder. And I was like, this is weird because Boulder has recycling. Denver had recycling. And I lived there for 17 years. And in, at one point, I decided, I guess nobody else is going to do this. And so I thought, okay, I guess I have to do it or I'll try. And over the course of a year or two, I made a couple hundred phone calls, mostly to the city and to EcoCycle or the county. And we finally got a recycling center. But I didn't know about starting a team. I thought you just like called the, the county and said, this is what I want. And so when I left that recycling center it's there but i didn't build any kind of team and that was kind of sad for you know being there that long and being so passionate and dedicating my life to it so i then i moved to fort collins and saw that they had this big sustainability fair and this really community so back to the the topic here this community focused approach where people were teaching beekeeping and bicycle repair and there was music and just this thing, this whole eco community kind of feel. Later I ended up in Longmont and after the big flood of 2013 and said, I want to be part of the sustainability thing here. 
and there wasn't, there wasn't anything. So I, I did that same reluctant leader thing where I couldn't get anybody interested. And then finally I said, okay, fine, I'll start something. And I called it Sustainable Revolution Longmont. It's still going now as Sustainable Resilient Longmont. But I mean, that's a great example of we just started out as a small group. We weren't sure, we had so many competing ideas. So we did an Earth Day festival. We had about a thousand people show up to that Earth Day festival. This is our first year. None of us had any nonprofit background. We raised $20,000. We went and talked to city council and they, they agreed with us and they said, oh yeah, I guess we should take that half finished sustainability plan off the shelf and finish it and get things going. So I was like, what? In less than two years, we really changed the course of the city. And this was by like walking in Halloween parades with our Youth of the Earth Council. And, you know, as an engineer, I thought like that was silly or something. So it was really kind of mind blowing to see, to see the difference. And then I moved back to Denver to my home neighborhood and started another team there. Nice. I think there's one in Westminster, is it? And they have, I heard about their, they like don't want to have contracts with multiple garbage companies just one a year, but then they'll rotate it. They'll switch every year. So they like don't damage the roads as much. Where's that Arvada? Yeah. And then I guess that's like one example of community coming together to say like, Hey, this is a real problem because like what you were saying, like, you don't just call up and say, Hey, I want this fixed. And, and everyone on the other end of the phone is like, you got it. Like we're on it. Cause yeah. It, I mean, they have a team too on the other end of the phone, but having a team on, I guess we'll call it this side of the phone um, just to help make sure those things follow through. And, and so things always work better in numbers. You know? Yeah. And I think there's, you know, there's just, there's, there's so many beautiful aspects of doing a team. When I, when I moved back to Congress Park, just kind of building off what you were just saying there, you know, that you, you think, I mean, I had thought, yeah, you just tell the city what you want and then they do it. And I think actually now, I mean, I can see a lot of that as like the white privilege where that works to a, a fair amount of degree to, you know, some degree when you're in a wealthier, whiter neighborhood, that things are taken care of the way that the people want it. But that same whiter, wealthier neighborhood does tend to be polluting more of driving more, traveling more, like having more carbon emissions, having bigger lawns, more pesticides, more water use. And so that whole environmental ethic, I think was really kind of was missing. And so I moved back to Congress Park neighborhood in 2015 after that experience in Longmont and was staying there with my mom and that's when I was seeing like that she'd have all these different things happening with this big, huge lawn at her house, but all the neighbors too. And Denver is a high mountain desert. You know, yeah. we just get like such little amount of water that these big lawns really don't fit. And ever since I've been a kid, like 
Denver Water pioneered the term Xeriscape, and they're really a leader in water conservation and getting that message out. And so I hear, I moved back, and so I was born in 1960. We were hearing about all the water conservation. And real quick, I want to, yeah. Xeriscape, for those who don't know, is it's X-E-R-O, right? X-E-R-I. Okay. And then that is essentially having like a landscape that doesn't require a lot of water. So like lots of rocks and native bushes that might grow with like very little water, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Right. That was a good clarification. I just zinged right by it. Yeah. So, so they, you know, so they've been saying for decades now, Hey guys, these lawns, this is not appropriate for this climate the lawns that went in here when these houses were built a hundred years ago, they don't make sense now. Uh, Colorado's population has increased by something like 25% in the last 15 years. So yeah, we've got all these people like right now, our water doesn't even fall in Denver. It falls on the Western slope and gets diverted back over to us. So we're kind of water debtors already. And so for people to just be, so living there at my mom's house and seeing the sprinklers going and the guy coming with the fertilizers and the pesticides and the lawn mowing. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I also kind of reluctantly, I reached out on next door and I said, Hey, I want to be part of the, the green team for the neighborhood. Cause I saw there was a neighborhood neighborhood organization. And the lady there said, Oh, that would be great. You should start it. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> I just left Longmont and I said, okay, if I can find one other person. So we held a meeting and we had like 14 people from the neighborhood show up. And the crazy thing is that neither my mom or I, nor I knew any of those people. And they were like landscape architects and arborists and volunteers from Botanic Gardens, people who wanted to do alley cleanups and bicycle enthusiasts. And so I used the same idea of, well, we have so many competing ideas. Let's do an Earth Day festival. And, and then that, that team went on without me. I left shortly after that. I was only there for like less than a year, I think. Got that team going. It's still going to this day. They joined the Sustainable Neighborhood Program and got recognized as an outstanding Yay. sustainable neighborhood. I know, but isn't that crazy that like, there's this pent up demand for people to do something, but this idea of just get together and do it is, it's just not mentioned. It's just like glossed right over. I think people think it's a harder task than it is. Like for me, I have a couple things that I want to do around my neighborhood. So I live in Capitol Hill. One thing I want to do is keep 11th Avenue closed to low traffic. I think it's in our 15 year plan that we recently voted on last this past winter. And, and now with coronavirus, the street has become low traffic. So people can still like park there. And, you know, if you live on that street, like you can drive through, but it's mostly for bikes and people. And I absolutely love it like that. And I think a lot of people do too. So I really want to keep it like that sooner than later. And that is a daunting idea for me because I don't know who to write to. I don't know what I would say. I don't know what sort of format I need to get 
community support in or how much community support I need in order for them to take it seriously and it be considered. So that's sort of like a daunting task idea, but I think I think the importance of what you do, the work with green teams, is you're, you're guiding people to say, you know, like, gather. Do, gather the things that you think that you need and have someone help you do it. They'll probably have a couple ideas that you didn't think of, a couple, a couple pieces to the puzzle that need to mesh in order to make this happen. And, and it's not as hard as we think it is. And... So I, I think that's, I think that's why I really want you here on this episode today is because I, I think it's really important that people know in our community that we can make things happen and it's not as hard as we think it is. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to say it too. And I think the, that's, that's what I finally understood was like, oh, our government is representing us. It's a representative government. But how do they know what we want if we never bother to, to get together and come to a consensus and then let them know? Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not mind readers. And them sending out a survey or doing a planning thing here or there, if we don't participate, then what's going to happen? It's like they're just going to do their best guess at it with one of the things that I always talk about is that, you know, polluters are very strategic. So the people, the, the companies that have the money and the power and would like to push something in a way that is more polluting, that has some more detrimental effects, they're very strategic. And so we as people that think that we are community minded, we need to also be more strategic. And, you know, your idea, I would love to just like go into that. That's an, of how to actually do that. And so that's, that's part of what the book that you mentioned, this climate action challenge book, what I've done is taken, this is the book I wish somebody would have said to me like, okay, Joan, you're 17 years old, you care about the environment, here, do this. Like, Here's the thing, make stuff happen. Rather than just struggling for decades, trying to be effective, but not being effective. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's like your idea of keeping those streets to low traffic somehow. There's so many parts and pieces. Like one of them is I really love the idea of getting people 90% up the learning curve. Most of us, when we start something like this, we've never done it before. So you're just saying like, ah, where do I even start? But, you know, one, one little tip is to identify 10 exemplary projects. So, you know, you can just start looking where else has done as closed some of these streets. How did they do it? What was their process? Who were the partners? Who came together? And when you do that, this... This I learned this idea from, from Russell Brunson called funnel hacking. If you're trying to get somebody to understand what you're promoting and get them to take action, don't start from scratch. Go find out the people that are already doing it. What is their messaging? They've already probably invested thousands of hours and thousands or millions of dollars figuring out what resonates with people. And so you can 
you can just go out and find, okay, who are the 10 cities that have done the best job of this? Who came together? Did they have funding? How did they do it? And then, you know, you're going to find people in the Denver area that are already working on this as well, I'm sure. I don't know who those people are, but once you kind of see what the pattern is in the other places, you go, oh, it's like the kids, the people are working on healthy families, and it's the bicycling community, and it's the, you know, parents of kids with asthma. Like, I don't know what those communities would be, but once, once you study that, you have a bit of a template to, to start making those connections, and it does really zoom you way past uh, those initial bumps on the learning curve. I remember when we did the workshop that was on the the task list was finding exemplary models. And because I sort of walked into the weekend workshop without a real plan in mind, I was like, oh, I don't know, I'll just throw these couple together and call it a day. But that's actually really good advice for you know, like I'm not walking into a weekend workshop right now with like a mission statement, a vision statement. I'm just like, okay, I kind of have this idea and, and this could go for anybody. Like, what do I, what am I trying to do? And like you said, that looking that up and digging deeper will really like break it down. And then I or we or whoever don't have to write, restructure it, recreate the wheel. I love that. Yeah. Well, and I remember that you and I like going into that weekend that you also were like, I mean, you have so many skills that it, you were like, okay, well I could do this or I could do that or, and it is definitely this process of just putting, so that's another part of the thing is just putting your vision out there. And I always call it like the spaghetti on the fridge approach where you just like uh. keep you just keep throwing your idea out there people, and eventually and sometimes it's gonna stick you know other times people are gonna go wait what are you talking about Madison like I don't even get you and you go oh okay I thought you would and then you try it with somebody else and they're like well that makes me think because I've been thinking about bloody blah but they've been thinking it from a different perspective and so when you you put your idea out there and just keep putting it out to different people. You you form this kind of consensus where it's like, okay, this is what we can all um, agree on. And this is how we can talk about it where everybody can get behind it. But yeah, it's just a process of having those, those conversations with a bunch oh. of different people. Oh, sorry to cut you off. That was it. <laughs> That makes me want to ask you, what what would you think people would need to know when starting a green team, like who to look for? Like, how do you know when someone is, it's just kind of like anytime you talk to somebody about your idea, the spaghetti sticks and you're good. Or, cause I know for me, like, you know, sometimes I talk a lot of talk and don't walk a lot of walk and a lot of people do too. And I think it goes back to that. Like, we just don't know how, or it seems bigger than it is, but like, is there, how many people do you think someone would want to start out with, with a green team? And how do you look for the right partners? Yeah, so that's, that's a very good question. And that's, I think the, the main questions I get from people is, how do I find more people for my team? And then how do I find people to show up for my events? 
or, you know, to take action. And it's, it's kind of a, the answer that I want to give you is kind of a big answer. <laughs> and, and really that's, so an another thing that I did was I, I got trained as a wellness coach and this does relate, believe it or not. <laughs> but what I learned with wellness coaching was that it's this really beautiful way of allowing somebody to, to say what they want to work on and for them to identify the kind of areas they feel like are problem areas and then for them to generate solutions that they want to try for that and then to break it down into small goals and to ask for help where they need it. But it's all self-directed. And, and then you, like when I worked as a coach for Noom, you, you set a small goal every week. And then the next week, the check-in is how did it go? And if it went well, that's like, great. What do you want to do next week? If it didn't, oh, well, let's brainstorm what happened. You know, what was it that tripped you up? How could, what are your ideas for getting around that next week? And so what I realized was that the environmental movement, <clears throat> a big problem, I'm going to drink water. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> a big problem is what I refer to as like, here's a brochure, go change your life. Like that doesn't work for weight loss. It doesn't work for getting exercise you know somebody just tell you hey you should start exercising here's here's how you do it bye like that doesn't work we need each other we need to support each other and coach each other and we need we need deadlines we need accountability we need support and so that's why i took all these best practices that i had learned from the environmental side and matched it up with what I saw was working in the wellness coaching to come up with this 90 day challenge idea. And I was talking with someone the other day and she goes, Oh, that's good. So like we could actually get something going in 90 days rather than just trying to save the earth. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So this, this idea of breaking things down into a, 90 day challenge. And so that's what the climate action challenge is all about too. This, the 2020 international climate action challenge, the registration is July 31st to August 31st. Madison, you're one of the, the ambassadors, one of the mentors for that. <laughs> and yeah, we just did a call with people from around the world that are volunteering to be ambassadors, you know, professors in forestry and people that are, you know, doing all kinds of projects in Uganda and around the world. But the idea is that, so you were asking like, how do you know if somebody is going to kind of click with you and how do you find those kind of team members and partners? And, and so it's a process and that's what this, this process talks about in the book where you first start with your personal vision and you get really clear on that. And I loved when you and I first talked where you said, you know, some people are like, are telling me, Madison, it's going to be too hard as a new realtor to focus on green, you know, on sustainability. And you just said, that's not a good enough answer mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. So I think you had that by connecting to your personal vision and saying, you know what, I'm going to make this happen. I don't know how to do it, but I will. 
So that's a really important first step to get clear. And then as you're having conversations with people, you find out what their personal vision is as well. And that's where you kind of find what those, those overlapping areas. So, you know, you might be passionate about local food and they might be passionate about their kids school and that they're not getting enough time outdoors. And so through those conversations, you might say, Oh, well, why don't we rehabilitate the school garden? And that would be a way to accomplish all those things. So it's, it's really just starts with those, those kinds of conversations. I mean, it's so important because we brought a person on our board one time in when we were in Longmont that seemed very energetic. And yet after we brought him on, we realized he was all really pro development of this certain project that we all thought was kind of an environmental nightmare. Mm -hmm. And so that would be an example, like that's not a good fit, but you don't know if you don't, if you don't have the conversations and, and then kind of toss out some ideas, well, maybe we could do this, maybe we could do that. And, and then as far as getting partners to actually commit, one of the tricks with that is planning a big event, a big action day, a community forum, an Earth Day festival, planning something where you ask the partners to participate. And that is, that's a really important thing I think a lot of us, we don't want to ask for help, but when you know that that person is not really going to be a partner until they, you can ask them to do something and they agree and they're getting a benefit and you get a benefit. So that's how you establish those relationships. And again, you're just finding out, okay, well, you're a big company. Like we had at Longmont at our Earth Day Festival, we had a company that showed up with 40 volunteers to help us set up, but they needed to do volunteer hours and they wanted to do something for the environment. So it was really helpful to them and extremely helpful to us. And so that's how you get those partnerships going is you ask them to do something just like you and I doing the, I asked you to participate in the climate action challenge. You asked me to be on your podcast. Like we're, that's how those partnerships go as we find things that we want to do together. Yeah. Just to touch on the leader aspect of things a bit, you had an example, like it just brought me to this. I think a leader, I'm sorry. <laughs> I always like start to say something. People who listen to my podcast will probably get used to it, but I start to say something and I say something. So y'all just bear with me, but being a leader, to me means knowing how to delegate. And I have learned that from observing how people function. And it reminds me of a time when I was going to a lot of festivals in Florida and there was always a guy, Matt White, and he would throw these huge, he would have huge theme camps. They were ginormous every single time. And he would always have something going on at his house. And he always had a community network around him, a people, hub and one day some one of my friends was just like yeah Matt never does any work and I was like are you kidding do you see how many people he talks to like ask to help to do this he has to direct so many people into different aspects and they have to like trust that what he asks them to do is 
is falling into a piece of the puzzle. So maybe he's not doing work, like, but he's doing work. And I thought that was an aspect of a leader. And I started to see that in different areas of life um, since then. So Yeah, that's a good way to put it, right? Because I think people picture that the leader is like out front or bossing people around. And it's really more, you know, like facilitation and finding, you know, what are people interested in? I've got about five volunteers, I think, now working on the Climate Action Challenge. And that website, I'm going to just say it now and then say it again later, but it's climateactionchallenge.net. And it's been really fun because the, the different volunteers, I've got a 10-year-old boy who is helping us figure out how to do TikTok. Nice. <laughs> but I mean, like that was his passion area. I hadn't really, that wasn't necessarily in my plan. I mean, I was curious about it, but as we were talking through things, you know, I was saying like, it'd be cool if somebody wrote a song and it'd be cool if somebody made this graphic. And, you know, we got around to the topic of TikTok and, and he kept suggesting things and suggesting things. So I was like, okay, well, great. Let's, let's work on that together. And would you like to make some of the videos for some of our TikTok videos? And he's like, yeah, I'd love to. So that, I think that's the other thing is that you, like I, I was talking to another guy, Ian, and he said, hey, do you know about angel investors and this one investment club? And I'm like, no. And he said, well, you're helping all these people start these projects. I think this angel investment group would really be interested in, they want to do social impact projects and you're already kind of uh, nurturing them, doing a lot of the work that they might otherwise have to do. So they might want to partner. But so I think that's the other thing is not being too controlling in what you think you need, because my experience is that people come with better ideas then I, like, that's not something I thought of, but once he said it, it's like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing I love about the podcast is it, it can be so open, like we can have a direction and sort of like our topic today, like eco-friendly homes meets community and it does fit together. It, it's just, um, things can be broader than we think. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I, I didn't really go into it, but there, there are definitely, if you go to sustainable neighborhood network.org, you'll find the sustainable neighborhoods in, in Denver and Lakewood, as well as Fort Collins. And I think Wheat Ridge is just joining that program too. So if you want to get ideas of what kinds of things that you could do in your neighborhood, Sustainable Green Mountain does a ton of stuff. The Congress Park team is still going. They made like a hard to recycle guide. And Tara Toll, one of the people from Congress Park, she went through my accelerator lab when I was coaching 20 teams for a year. She had the idea that sprung into becoming the Denver Compost Challenge. So this is neighborhood to neighborhood, um, encouraging people to, to compost however they can. But if you're, if you're wanting to know like ideas or 
maybe there's even a sustainable neighborhood program, a green team already in your neighborhood. So you could start there. But if not, follow some of them on Facebook and see the amazing events they're doing with pollinator gardens and bicycle tours and paint recycling. It's, there's just so much that a few people getting together can do that really makes a big impact. So how should people start to look for things like that? Like you said, you just dropped a few website names and I will add those in the show notes. But if I'm like, I don't know, I've, I don't know where to go. What do I even look into on Facebook? Oh, what would you say? Just like kind of search engine optimize it, like green team, community garden, and, and just go with that and start letting it roll out or... Yeah, I mean, that would that would work. That would definitely be a starting point. I think sustainable neighborhoods is is one idea that I think resonates with what, you know, the, the kind of focus of your show. But there, if, if you look for city sustainability groups as well, there are groups like the Citizens for Alliance, Citizens Alliance for a Sustainable Inglewood, they partnered, they did a program with XL Energy and XL promotes, helps them get booths at farmer's markets and such and, and gives them free LEDs. And then this group talks to people about how you can improve your home energy and tells them what you can do through XL as far as getting a home energy audit, how you can reduce your carbon footprint with their different renewables choices, how you can be more energy efficient. So I think depending on kind of what your area of interest is, if you do look for sustainable neighborhoods, sustainable cities, green teams, community gardens, any of that is a a starting point. The Green Team Academy podcast, I would definitely recommend that. So that's at greenteamacademy.com. And I share a lot of stories and strategies. And so you can hear everything from a fifth grader. I interviewed a fifth grader who their class got their school to stop using styrofoam um, trays, but lots of different and lots of different folks. There's also the Earth Week Summit that I do. There's a, I've done 20 interviews on each of those Earth Week Summits that will give you ideas of what people are out there doing. And then finally, the Climate Action Challenge would be a really great way to to get involved. We're going to be having weekly trainings all throughout August with the mentors. So if you're thinking, I'd kind of like to do something, but I'm not sure what, we'll have mentors that have been working with youth who've been doing tree planting projects or urban gardening or water, you know, ocean cleanups or beach cleanups, I mean, or ocean conservation. So really anything that you could possibly be thinking, oh, I wonder what I should do. So, you know, whether it's at your neighborhood level or your faith community or school or workplace, we'll have ideas and examples of people that are out there doing it. And these mentors like Madison volunteered, like that you volunteered of, hey, I'll help people that are trying to figure out how to get started doing editing of your audios and videos. And so we're just having this big global collaboration with the challenge of what if, you know, your, your challenge could, the one way, simple way to do it is say, well, why don't I try and start a team in my neighborhood 
and my pledge would be I'll try and get insert number here of members. I'll try and get five members by November 30th. Or, you know, I'll try and get this many members and we'll try and plant three trees. So giving yourself that, that time frame, that then when you reach out to people and say, hey, I'm doing this challenge, I was wondering if you could call me back, you know, it lights a fire under people instead of like, oh, we could just do it anytime. It's like, yeah. oh, why don't we do it now? And you said earlier, dates and deadlines are so important. And I absolutely agree. I also did a podcast launch program from someone who kept running ads to me on Instagram. I was like, well, might as well give it a shot. And uh, I did. And her, the first step was set a date. And I set that date. And I had to sort of think about it. I was like, too soon, too far, just right. Where? And so I, I set the date. And then I got about, ha I started making progress. I got halfway through. And then one of the steps was like, submit your podcast to Apple Podcaster. And it could take two weeks to get approved. And I was like, two weeks? I only have two and a half. So then I had to blaze through the rest of it until I was like, okay, you know, I, I just submitted it. It only took three days, but, but just in case, and the, you're right, those dates and deadlines are so important. And then it, it also gives you something to commit to. It gives other people something to commit to. And speaking of dates and deadlines, when is the last day to sign up for your climate action challenge? Is it July 31st? July 30, 31st is the first day. Okay. Sign up. That's when the registration opens. And then August 31st is the last day for sign up. So on July 31st, when you go to climateactionchallenge.net, you can say, yes, I'm interested. And even if you're not sure what you're going to do yet, that gives you access to some of the trainings. Some of them will be recorded. So you understand right away what's going on. And then you'll also be invited to some of the live trainings so you can meet the mentors and ask questions and kind of get help. Just like, like we were saying earlier, that kind of spaghetti on the wall thing, like, I don't know, I think maybe I should do something around this or this will we'll be a sounding board so that you can mm -hmm. do that. And the other super cool thing I'm so excited about is that we're going to have these WhatsApp mentoring groups. So we've got several French speakers, some of them from Francophone countries in Africa. Who do we have like Tunisia and someone from France, Coralie's from France. So now we have about 10 people already just on our mentor team that speak French. So we'll have a French group. We might have an Arabic speaking group. We'll have a group that is focusing on tree planting, another one on working with kids. And so anything that you're kind of thinking about, you can get into one of these groups with people from around the world that have already been doing it that are excited to help you figure it out. And this is exactly why I gave you the title Global Community Leader. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and it's, it's like what you said too, like I'm... I put this idea out there and I learned from, I'm using my own methods. You know, I tell people, get a list of a hundred partners. If, if you're not making a big enough impact, you probably don't have enough partners. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I want to launch my book, but I, I don't, it's not like about selling the book. I want people to actually understand they can make an impact. So how do I do that? Okay. Let me challenge them to, do it. What if a thousand people would do it? How are we going to get a thousand people? Well, maybe if we can find a hundred people, 
that are interested that are already pushing this message. So it gives them also, you know, they've probably been talking to people again and again, and they're going, but hey, do it now. Sign up for the challenge. I'm, I'm an ambassador. I'm a mentor. You can get in and get this extra support. So yeah, it's, it's super exciting. And it's climateactionchallenge.net. Yay. I love that. I'm super excited for it. And I'm really excited to put this episode out there, have people learn about the climate action challenge, have people get excited to do something and, and start to question themselves like, oh, has that been on my mind for a while? Oh, maybe, maybe I should do that. Help build community, help empower people's own sense of what we can accomplish. Yeah. Especially in our, our, our social political climate right now, I think feeling empowered in what we can accomplish as an individual and with other individuals is really important right now. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's perfect timing because, you know, this, the, the isolation that people feel is real, mm-hmm. but, you know, so having a meeting, having a Zoom meeting like this, having a phone call, planning a cleanup day, planning a community forum to get people together and start visualizing what, what do we want for our community and what can we do it? These are super powerful things to do to break the isolation, but also all the racial injustice, the systemic oppression, almost every pollution issue out there, every you know, the climate change, all of this is the result of some kind of systemic oppression and the inequality. Some people are suffering more than others. Others are benefiting from it. And so anything that we can do to care for the planet, that is a shared resource. So I think a lot of white people, I think a lot of people with privilege are wondering, what can I do? And taking care of our home, stepping up to become a steward and dedicating some of your time and energy and creativity to, to solving these issues is, is something really fulfilling. And it definitely has been for me. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Joan. I really appreciate having you. I, I really loved having this conversation with you and I'm really glad we get to keep having more of these conversations. Yes. Exactly. I agree. And I mean, from the very first time when I met you and you said, I just don't think that's good enough for me to just settle for just being an average agent without trying, you know, without taking the step to, to make this commitment. So I'm, I'm really excited to see everything that you've done so quickly and how you're putting all this stuff together. I think when you mentioned earlier, I mentioned the podcast. I have a lot of other things over at greenteamacademy.com. So I always have free trainings and have a weekly group coaching program and all kinds of stuff. So, and there's a contact form. If, if you need something, then just reach out. I'd be happy to chat with you. Yeah, definitely do that. Podcast listeners, Joan definitely has a lot of resources and she's great at getting back with me and other people. So definitely check out Joan on her websites, on her podcast, on her Facebook, any way you want to reach out to her. She's amazing. I highly recommend, obviously she's sitting here with me. I highly recommend this woman. So yeah, thanks for being a mentor to me, Joan. I really appreciate that. 
thank you for stepping up and taking action so quickly. That's you're just demonstrating. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Like just do what Madison's doing. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, for sure. You got it, audience. You can do this too. Yay! Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. All right, John. Well, I'll catch you another day. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Madison. Bye. Explorers of Modern Ways, thank you so much for tuning in today. You can find more of me on Instagram at Moving with Madison and YouTube Moving with Madison. YouTube is where I post the video recording of each episode so you can watch along if you please. I hope you learned something new today and that helps you take a tangible step towards creating your eco-friendly home.